The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from Isaiah chapter 39. At that time, Merodach Baladon, the son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, they have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, There will be peace and security In my days, God, we thank you for your word. Winston Churchill said this, There is a treasure in the heart of every human if only you can find it. There's a treasure in the heart of every human if only you can find it. And the way I often, as a counselor, search for treasure inside of a person's heart is this, I pay attention to strong emotions or reactions. Because strong emotions or reactions are like that sound. You remember those old school metal detectors on the beach? When I see or hear strong emotions or reactions, there's a sound going off there. There's a possible treasure buried underneath that spot. So I want to begin this morning by defining what a treasure is. I want to talk about what a treasure does and where we find treasures. So what is a treasure, what does it do, and where is it found? So first, what is a treasure? A treasure, I'll define it as this, is some person, place, or thing that holds great value to someone. Some person, place, or thing that holds great value. And as you can see from that definition, it doesn't have to be monetary. It doesn't have to be money. Treasures don't have to be. My treasure detector goes off when I see tears well up in someone's eyes when I ask them the simple question, tell me a little bit about your dad who just died. A treasure has value and importance and worth to that person. What does a treasure do? A treasure is there to provide a person with some sense of security. 
a sense of everything's going to be okay. That's what that treasure is there for. So if I handed you a key to a safe deposit box, and I told you this safe deposit box contains $2.4 million of stocks and bonds with your name on it, what might happen to your anxieties about the future? They'd probably go down because you're like, financially, I think I'm going to be okay. I'm secure. A treasure provides someone with a sense of security. And finally, I want to ask, where do you find these treasures? Most of us, when we think of treasures, we think of treasures as buried and needing to be dug up. Movies like National Treasure or the reality show called Treasure Hunters or games like Fortnite, they generate thoughts in our minds of looking beneath or behind or under surfaces to find a chest filled with something valuable. But Scripture answers the question of where treasures are found differently. Treasures, according to scriptures, are indeed found inside of a chest, but not the kind of chest you're thinking of. It's within this chest. Where is any treasure found according to the Bible? It's inside the heart. Luke 12, 34, we just heard read. For where your treasure is, where, where that which holds the greatest value in giving you a sense of security, there will be your heart also. Today's passage is a treasure hunt into the heart of a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah provides for us a character study into every human heart, including our own, and the fickle nature of what it treasures. My son, he just named his new pet fish after a roller coaster. Ejunaika is her name, or his name. But I think Hezekiah might be a great name for a roller coaster because of the up and down nature of Hezekiah's insecure heart. The value that the Lord has in his heart goes up and then it goes down, up and down. And the security that comes from the Lord in Hezekiah's heart's up and down, up and down. And is he not a window, friends, into our own insecure up and down roller coaster hearts? What we need to understand in this treasure hunt passage is this. The Lord is our treasure. The Lord is our most valuable source of security. So let your hearts rest in peace. The Lord is our treasure, our most valuable source of security. So let your hearts rest in peace. Three things this passage calls us to treasure about the Lord. His attention, his approval, and his always abiding, always dwelling, always living. His attention, his approval, and his abiding. First, I want to look at his attention toward you, sinner. And I want you to treasure his attention toward you. Read with me the first two verses again of this passage. At that time, Merodach Baladon, the son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered, and Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. So I want to pay attention first to the main character in this passage, Hezekiah. He's the king of Judah. The king of Jerusalem, whose name means God strengthens. That's what Hezekiah's name means. God strengthens. And in the past couple of chapters of Isaiah, 
The Lord has shown his attention toward the king. Hezekiah has clearly known his weakness. He's called for God's attention to his weakness. And he's seen God attend to the king with supernatural strength. Okay, so the first situation involved a political weakness. As Judah, the country to which Hezekiah is ruling over, Judah's enemies, who are called the Assyrians, are about to attack Judah and Jerusalem. Hezekiah, he gets this death threat letter from the bully leader of the Assyrians. His name was Sennacherib. And the letter basically says this. You're next on my list of people to conquer and kill. And your God can do nothing about it. That's what the letter says. Your God can't save you from me. And the king in humble dependence upon the Lord, calls for God's attention to this matter. He actually lays the letter before God, and this is what he weeps. O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. And what does God do in response to that prayer? God attends to Hezekiah and sends a sign. An angel of the Lord comes to Sennacherib's men who are just outside of Jerusalem, ready to attack Jerusalem. And what does the angel do? He puts them all to death in their sleep. 180,000 men dead. God shows Hezekiah his attention. The second situation, much more personal in nature. Hezekiah experiences physical weakness. And he's told by Isaiah, you know what? Get your affairs in order. You're going to die soon. Within moments, days, whatever it might be. You're going to die. So the king calls upon the Lord's attention to the matter, weeping again. And this is what he says. Please, O Lord. Remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And the Lord gives attention to Hezekiah's prayer and grants that he lives another 15 years. And he sends Hezekiah a miraculous sign. What does he do? He holds back the sunset several hours to say, yeah, you're going to live longer. In two situations both a public and a personal situation, God has shown his attention to Hezekiah. This king is like us. He's attention-seeking. And the Lord has consistently been attention-keeping. But look what happens when an envoy, a group of diplomats from Babylon, come knocking on Hezekiah's door. Babylon as we discussed a few weeks ago, is an anti-God nation all about pride, all about making a name for themselves, all about saying, look what we can do. And the king of Babylon has sent these people. The king, friends, if you could put a modern equivalent, he's kind of like Elon Musk. Okay? He's got power. And in terms of enemies, if Assyria was the rough-playing bully, Babylon is like the smooth-talking beauty. Knock, knock. Who's there? And who's there? A team of well-dressed diplomats. They're wearing big smiles. They're holding helium balloons and a glad-you're-feeling-better card. 
And in the driveway, they point, and there's a big white bow on a brand new Tesla. And what does Hezekiah do with this attention that he's getting from Elon Musk? He welcomes them gladly. A more fitting translation might be, he rejoiced over them. There's a treasure going on in Hezekiah's heart. Look at this. Look at this attention I'm receiving. And the enemies of the Lord are allowed straight through the door. What's happening here? A summary statement in the book of 2 Chronicles tells us it's attention-seeking pride in Hezekiah's heart. It says this, In the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to Hezekiah to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, i.e. the killing of 180,000 men, God left Hezekiah to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. See in Hezekiah your own heart. The craving to be noticed, to be seen as important. When left to yourself, when God steps back, you will look anywhere and everywhere to be fed attention. To puff up your sense of self-importance. We're all attention seekers. I have a friend who was helping coordinate a national Christian conference. And in years past, the event was incredibly well attended. They filled stadiums. And it was growing. It had big-name pastors and leaders put on the stage, big-name musicians and songwriters also billboarded. But that particular year, my friend and the team that was surrounding the planning for this conference decided, we're going to do things a little differently this year. We're going to intentionally communicate to the Christian world that it's not just the mega church pastors and the recording artists who are faithful in their gospel ministry. We're going to promote lesser known but still as effective preachers and teachers and lesser known musicians on those stages. You can guess what happened that year at the conference. It tanked. No one paid any attention to the conference. And guess what they did next year after that? Big names, big musicians, big attention. God tested the heart of Hezekiah to see that attention-seeking pride, it's part of our mixed bag of treasures in our heart. I want to ask you some questions. Like, who do you know that you want to make sure everyone knows that you know them. I was tempted to tell you who my friend was who was part of that conference. Who do you know that you want other people to know that you know? It elevates you. It makes you feel bigger. Who could show up at your door today or on your Snap feed or your Facebook feed and lead you with their smiles and their gifts away from the faithful and attentive Lord. He needs us. The Lord needs us to see and to own this prideful, attention-seeking, attention-craving heart we have so we can know the security of God's faithfulness that in spite of our broken, busted hearts, He still attends to us, attention-seekers. Treasure his attention toward you, sinner. 
What if the attention you craved from all these important people you had from the most important person? How would it make you different in how you relate to everyone around you? I always have his attention. I don't need any of your attention. I have his. Peace can come. Attention seekers. Treasure his attention toward you, sinner. Secondly, treasure the Lord's approval of you, saint. Look with me at the next several verses, verses 2 and 4. And the king showed them, the Babylonians, his treasure house. Silver, gold, spices, oil, armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his kingdom realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Hezekiah, in this passage, friends, becomes like that rich, spoiled kid who never gets invited to the popular kid's party. Do you remember that in school? There's always that kid that had a lot, but no one ever wanted to play with him. And now he's getting the attention of the popular kids. Hezekiah is not only attention-seeking, he's approval-seeking. He starts, like, touring them around his palace and city. Let me show you this. Let me show you this. Let me show you this. Sephora perfumes, America's test kitchen pantries, Fort Knox gold and silver, Fort McCoy guns and ammo. Look at, look at me. I'm playing with the big boys now. Look at me, is what he's trying to say. Do you like what you see? Do you approve of me? He's trying so hard to gain the smile of the Babylonian big boys. And indeed, they are smiling at what they see, but not because they're impressed with Hezekiah. Because they're starting to inventory what's going to be theirs in about a hundred years. Then, verse 3, Isaiah, the prophet, came to Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They've come from a far country from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They've seen all that's in my house. There's nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Isaiah, the prophet, sees this radical insecurity going on as the king is seeking approval from the Babylonians. And he asks Hezekiah to, I need you to look at this situation honestly. He wants him to see the threat that's in front of him. He says, What did they say to you and where did they come from? What do you notice about the king's answer? He doesn't answer the first question, what did they say to you? He doesn't talk about the glad you're feeling better letter that came from the Babylonians. He only says, they're from way far away, Babylon. Isaiah, nothing to worry about here. They, they live so far away, they're not a threat to us. But in that letter... In that letter is probably an arms deal contract to join us, join the Babylonians in going after your other enemy, the Assyrians. Isaiah then presses further. What did you show them? Everything. Didn't hold back a thing. Isaiah's almost proud that he's such an open book. I got nothing to hide. Not only was the king looking for approval from the Babylonians, he wants to hear Isaiah also say, well done, well done, and showing him, way to represent your people. But really, honestly, who was Hezekiah representing? 
Who was the one responsible for filling all these pantries and palaces and armories and safes? Who was responsible? Because on most of the storehouse's inventory were probably engraved the words property of Sennacherib, the Assyrians, or property of King Solomon. Hezekiah was looking for an attaboy approval when he had little or nothing to do with all that he had. Who did? The Lord. The Lord was the giver of these good gifts. The Lord was the only one who should be receiving the credit, the approval, the thanks, and the praise for what's in those storehouses. But Hezekiah made the approval all about him. In the New Testament, the disciples, James and John, they're called the sons of thunder. You don't want to mess with them. They loved the approval they had gained in being affiliated and associated with Jesus. And in Mark 10, they make a really bold request of Jesus. This is what they say to him. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. Make us a promise that when all of this is said and done, what people see in us is we're with Jesus. So that makes us look approved, credible, incredible. Our approval ratings, James and John, will soar because we're with Jesus. Jesus' response is this. You don't know what you're asking. Because Jesus knew that in order for James and John to have the approval of God, the smile of God on his face, the approval that says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. In order for James and John to have that approval, which came from the Father in heaven, it would have to come through taking care of God's angry frown. It would have to come through a perfect, awful sacrifice and rejection from men and God on the cross. Who was at the right and the left of Jesus on the cross, friends. It wasn't James and John. Where were they? Gone. Because their approval ratings would have stunk if they'd have been by a guy on a cross. There was two thieves next to him. But at that place, at that cross, that is the only place where the Father could say, well done. He's approving of Christ's perfection. The only approval ever given to any man who ever walked this face of the earth was Jesus. So why do we look for it in anything we do? Jesus, a man who would desire the approval of God by displaying the love of God through a willing sacrifice, for people he loved. The cross, friends, is a treasure house of approval. If you want to see the treasure house of God, like Hezekiah showing off his treasure house, just look at the cross. Because what does it smell like? If you came near the cross, the smell is precious oil. Jesus was anointed before he died, wasn't he? With this incredibly expensive oil. And you could smell it coming from the cross. There's something very precious up there. 
And that man offers the richest inheritance of life with God as he himself suffocates. That man has a storehouse of weaponry as he takes on enemies, sin, and death. Not with his own AK-47 or whatever weapons he's using, but with his nail-pierced hands and his bleeding side. He says, I'm here to fight and I'm here to win. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. He loves sinners as the Father loves sinners with a sacrifice that makes him approved by God. That is my son with whom I'm well pleased. What, friends, if you knew there was zero you could do to gain God's approval, there is nothing you can do to get his approval, what would happen to you? I hope it would be peace. How would it change you? How you live, what you say, what you do, what your house looks like, what your kids look like. How would it change if you knew you didn't have to do anything to get God's approval? It's all been given to you through Christ. Jesus, King Jesus, friends, is a better Hezekiah. He loved, he did love living in the eye of his father's attention. He was always at attention to what his father wanted and listening to what his father was leading him. Everything he did was because his ears and eyes were all set on the father's will. What do you want, father? And his coming down from the throne room of heaven was to put on display that God holds nothing back. There was not a thing that Jesus did not show the world of the father's love, the father's house, the father's kingdom. Why? So that God's people could know, our last point, the security of abiding within God's kingdom walls always. Look with me at the last few verses, 5 to 8. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs, they shall be slaves, manservants in the palace of the king of Babylon. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Hezekiah's ugly heart is exposed one final time as we end basically part one of Isaiah. The first half of this book is a plea to trust God as the holy ruler and king over everything. That's the message of the first part of Isaiah. And the last words of this first part of the book are ugly and ominous. For Hezekiah thought, there will be peace and security in my days. How selfish. How present tense thinking. How egocentric, not even considering 
generations to follow him, not even considering that as a leader, he is there to protect and provide, not only for himself, but for generations that followed him. No, there will be peace and security in my days. Isaiah's prophecy would come true as all of Jerusalem, friends, would be ransacked. All of the treasure that he showed off would be carried on the backs of its residents who would become Babylonian exiles and slaves. Exiled from their home for trusting in the kings of the earth. Everything will be cut down, Jerusalem. You will be cut down, Judah, like a stump. That's what God promises. And Hezekiah is thinking, ha, that word is good. That's a good word because at least I don't have to deal with it. How selfish his and our hearts are. But that word, friends, is indeed good. Hezekiah is right on that point. Because from this cutting down of the kings of Jerusalem, from the people of Judah, would come, as Isaiah 6 promised, a seed from the stump. One who would plant a new kingdom. And this is the description of that king, that better Hezekiah. A king who didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grabbed onto, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that the name of Jesus, the resurrected name of Jesus, every knee will give him attention. Every tongue will give him approval that this is the best king to ever walk the face of this planet. If you abide, friends, in the safety of your home's four walls like Isaiah did, you'll probably be safe from rain, sleet, snow, and hail for a time. But eventually that house is going to fall and fail. Exile and emptying will happen, whether it be now and losing it all, or later and eventually losing to something like death. But if you abide in the safety of a king, this King Jesus, who has secured the walls of his kingdom, walls where no enemy can enter in and steal from you, Walls where all of your attention will be on the beauty of the love and light that comes from his throne. Where you'll be singing songs of his approval. You will be safe and you will be saved. If this is your true home, and it is, it's ready for you. Then what does that do to you now? That would be different from Hezekiah. If your future, friends, is secure then you're going to start looking at people who are not and try to find ways to help care for them and offer them a sense of hope and security in Christ. Friends, treasure this gift of grace, which is a safe and secure home that's been gifted to you, attention-seeking, approval-seeking one, not because you're deserving of it, because you're loved. Rest in peace, in the attention, the approval, the home that Christ has secured for you. Treasure him 
treasure him as your only source of security. And guess what happens? Your hearts will rest in peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, how it exposes us, attention seekers, approval seekers, people who only live for the present. Lord, may we see, may your spirit show to us the security that we have in Christ, the treasure that we have in him. No one can take that away. No one can take that away from us. Thank you for giving us your spirit to dwell in us, to abide in us, to live in us as a deposit, guaranteeing, like a down payment on a home. Thank you for guaranteeing our home, for giving us your smile through Christ, and for always being at attention to your people and our needs. We pray that you would continue to keep our eyes fixed on your will, your smile, and the home you've given to us so that we may tell others and share with others the treasure that we have in Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.